You're listening to Mockingbird. This recording was made at the 8th Annual Mockingbird Conference, held at Calvary St. George's Church in New York City. Um, well, welcome everybody uh, to um, the introduction to Mockingbird. My name is uh, the Reverend Jacob Smith, and I'm the priest in charge here at Calvary St. George's. And uh, Hi, uh, I'm Sarah Condon, and I'm a priest at St. Martin's in Houston, Texas. And uh, we'll just begin with a little prayer. <clears throat> uh, gracious and heavenly Father, we give you great thanks for your presence here, and we give you great thanks, Lord, for the ministry of Mockingbird and uh, just the unceasing grace that you've given us through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We pray, O oh Lord, that today you would guide and direct our conversation, and um, God, uh, continue to warm our hearts with this profound message. We pray this all through Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Good. Well, uh, we're here to just kind of introduce everybody to Mockingbird and uh, talk a little bit about it. And, uh, and so I thought kind of what we would do is, is I would begin by sharing the story of how Mockingbird came about and then um, share about what Mockingbird is all about and, um, and then uh, talk about a few key things that we think are very important to Mockingbird, um, kind, of the th kind of three major underlying themes that kind of uh, come about out of Mockingbird. And then uh, Sarah's gonna share her story and uh, a little bit about it. So, but uh, Mockingbird really uh, began uh, back in uh, kind of 2006. I kind of just moved here to New York City from Pittsburgh where I graduated from seminary and um, uh, Paul Zoll was uh, my mentor and one of my professors. And uh, we moved here and uh, his son Dave, who I'd met in seminary uh, when he would come and visit his father and we'd become really good friends, lived up in New Haven, Connecticut, in Yale. And uh, we had just kind of started hanging out. On Fridays was my day off at the time, and I'd drive, ride the train up, or he'd come down, and we'd usually eat pizza and watch a movie. We originally were gonna start a, a blog on the best burgers and pizza in New England, and uh, that was kind of what it was. But David s spoke to me over pizza, and he said, you know, I'm kind of getting tired of uh, youth ministry, and. I want to do something else. And I said, well, why don't we just try and figure out, like, maybe we could do some college ministry or something together, and we'll just kind of figure that out. And you just come down, and we'll, we'll figure it out. And actually, I talked to uh, Tom Pike. We were driving home from Hershey, Pennsylvania, <laughs> and, uh, and I said, hey, you know, Dave's all, what do you think about him coming? And Tom was like, awesome. And so uh, in, in a closet, basically, we set Dave up with an office, and we started and tried to start basically a young adults ministry. Um, and it didn't work. Um, and, uh, but what happened was, is part of the young adult ministry was that, you know, um, we had a blog. So we'd have these Bible studies, and, you know, people would come, about four or five people, drink all the wine, and then leave. And uh, it just kind of, you know, we're like, grace, yeah. So, but... Uh, um, but there were all these kind of ministers that started reading the blogs that we, we, we were writing in the blog posts, and we got a number of our friends, including John right there, who wrote amazing posts, but to, to kind of keep the blog fresh and going. And a lot of folks were like, you know, this is really great. And we were like, you're not supposed to read this because you're not a young adult. But, uh, <laughs> the, you know, but the truth is, is that this isn't about young adult ministries. A lot of people are like, oh, this is reaching out to young people. And I'm like, no, you've missed the boat completely. Uh, this is about everybody because the message of the gospel is literally for everybody. As St. Paul says, there is now therefore no more Jew or Greek, free or slave, male or female, but all are one in Christ. 
And you know, and I always talk about that, if, if everybody looks exactly the same, then th there must be something wrong, because this message is for everybody. And so in March of 2007, uh, uh, well, roughly in January, we got the big idea that maybe we would throw a conference here. And, uh, and that really um, kicked off in the first conference we brought, had Mark Mattis come and speak, who's a Lutheran theologian in Iowa, and uh, right next to Oxford. And, um, and then we had, that was a total joke, and it just bombed. But anyway, um, and then we had uh, uh, Paul Zoll speak. And, uh, but, um, and from that little seed, kind of a community that has, has grown. And I remember one of the things that John used to say when there were like 15 of us, and it was like, you know, because sometimes when you're preaching this message or when you believe this message of the distinction of law and gospel, you begin to think, well, maybe, I, am I the only one? And indeed, that was the question that was constantly posed to Luther. Are you the only one? Mm -hmm. And it can feel, you can feel really lonely. And I remember John used to say, you know, at the dinners that we used to have in here, because there were like 20 of us, but it was, you know, isn't this great? There's like 20 of us here. It feels like an army. And, uh, but it's just been amazing to see over the years how the Holy Spirit has gone out and just really touched people's lives with this message of grace and have really brought them in. And Mockingbird has become a community, not just kind of in, in the Northeast, but it's spread all over, and it's now all over the world. But what is it that we're actually talking about? What is it that we're actually talking about? Well, what we're talking about is God's grace. We're not interested in steps to a better you. Uh, we're not interested in, you know, a biblical ways to manage your finances. We're not interested in, like, you know, telling you how to live. Uh, because the fact is, is that you know all those things already. The problem is, is that none of us are doing them, you know. And so what Mockingbird becomes is a little bit of a, a place of relief. And that really kind of, I think, the central text kind of that kind of at least motivates us on a number of levels from the Gospels is what Jesus says here. He says in Luke chapter 4, he walks into this synagogue and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to, cap to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is very powerful. This is Jesus quoting from Isaiah. And after he said that, it rolls up, he says he rolls up the scrolls and he says, today this word has been fulfilled in your hearing. But it says something a little bit about who we are and what the gospel's all about. And the first thing it says is that we're poor. You know, I mean, people will say all the time, you live on Gramercy Park, how in the world can you say that you're poor? Uh, but the truth is, is that what Jesus is talking about here is the poverty of our spirits, uh, the reality of the realization of how high the law actually is, and it's total demand of from you, perfection. There's no loophole there when Jesus says, be perfect as I am perfect. You know, people are like, well, you know, what he means is, is try, no, that's law light, and that's even more poisonous than uh, law heavy. This is that we know who we are before the law, and we realize our poverty before the richness of God. Um, then he says he sent procl to proclaim liberty to the captives. So not only are we poor, but we're also captive. You know, we, are, we may not be in prison up in, you know, Rikers or up in Sing Sing or any of that, but all of us are captive to something. You know, maybe for you it's an addiction. Maybe for you, you're held captive to a relationship. Maybe for you, you're held captive to something that happened to you at your birth. 
Your parents divorced when you were a small child and you never felt like you got the love that you needed from your father or from your mother. But whatever it is, the point that Jesus is making is that we're all captives. We're all held in bondage to something. And then recovery to sight to the blind. All of us think that we see clearly. But as we've heard in these last talks, is that most of the time when we think we're seeing clearly, we're actually delusional. And what the Gospel does, what Jesus does, is He comes in and He shows us who we actually are. And He actually shows us once again that God knows who we actually are, but loves us more profoundly than we could ever imagine. And that actually brings clarity of sight. That allows me to live my life in repentance and on my knees. And then finally, to proclaim liberty to those who are oppressed. Uh, one of the biggest misunderstandings that have crept into the church is that we actually have free will. And uh, none of us do, uh, partly because of those things that oppress us. Um, you know, I'm not saying that we're robots or that we're automatons, but when it comes to the big things of life, most of the time, my will chooses, all, not most of all of the time, my will chooses me. Mm. And uh, I need uh, somebody to come in and say, you've been set free from yourself. Uh, someone has set you free from yourself, and that's Jesus. And this is to proclaim the, the, the year of the Lord's favor. And that is because of Jesus, the sword of Damocles does not hang over your, your, your throat anymore from God. That's been removed from you. And that you have a clean slate totally. That's the year of the Lord's favor to you. And that nothing, absolutely nothing, can ever take that away from you. And that is kind of the underlying theme of Mockingbird, and it manifests itself typically in three major concepts that we identify in culture and connect to everyday life through our ministries like the blog and, uh, and, um, and these conferences. And these three concepts, these theological concepts, are the first is law versus gospel. The thing that you hear in most churches is what I call gospel. Um, it's the mingling of the two words. It's like, all right, you got, you, you know, things aren't looking good, but Jesus died for your sins. Now get it together. You know what I mean? Here's what you need to do get involved in a soup kitchen, behave, quit living with your girlfriend, blah, 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 blah. And it just completely, what you see happen here is that it just completely, the good news has been given to you and it's taken away. And it makes Sunday actually the most depressing day of the week because I've just left church with a list of things to do and I'm already not doing them. I'm still laying on the couch. And, uh, but when these two words are properly distinguished, law, the demand from God of you. And what God demands from you is total perfection. How's that working for you? <laughs> you know, I mean, that is the demand. So he gives us that first word, the law. But as St. Augustine of Hippo once said, he said, God demands from us what we cannot do so that we might know what to seek from him. And so he gives us a second word, and that word is gospel. And that is all that the demand of God has been met on your behalf in the perfect work of Jesus Christ. Um, and that is grace. And, and, and that connects. Just think about the time in your life when you totally failed and someone said, dang it, get it together. Did you ever see that person again? Probably not. But just think about all the times in your life when you totally failed. And somebody said, you know, I love you. I forgive you. Well, like a moth to a flame, you're just constantly drawn. And all you want to do is live for that person. Mm. That's law and gospel. 
The second is a theology of the cross versus a theology of glory. <laughs> this, is a, this is a profound idea that's talked about through Mockingbird. A theology of the cross versus a theology of glory. A theology of glory basically is our progress to God, what you're doing for the Lord, climbing the ladder to Jesus. But the powerful thing, the distinction is, is the theology of the cross says, is that love has come to you. God has come down to you. And God has come down to you and to meet you, not at the church picnic, not when things are amazing on Instagram, but he's come to meet you in your darkest hour. And he's come to meet you and says, I've forgiven you all of your sins, and I will be the one to change you and make you brand new. So a theology of glory is all about us reaching our hands towards God. And a theology of the cross, which makes Christianity unique, is all about God reaching his hand to you. He's the initiator. As Paul's all taught us, it's one-way love. Finally, the, th the other theme is this idea of imputation versus infusion. Or uh, imputation versus, as it's spoken about in certain evangelical and Pentecostal circles, impartation. So impartation talks about the God-shaped <laughs> hole in your heart. And, you know, uh, God's got to come in there, and then, you know, you do all sorts of things. So this is law, gospel, law. You do all sorts of things to kind of generate that, that Jesus juice all in you. You know what I mean? And stay close to the source. Stay close to the flame to keep it burning. For if you back away or you don't do things right, well, then that flame will go, grow dim. Uh, and that, that is not what we believe at all. That's impartation. What we believe is the great idea of imputation, which comes from St. Paul in Romans 7. And that is that the only thing that's actually in my heart is cholesterol and sin. And, um, and, uh, and my heart is actually a little raisin. Uh, but a loving Savior has come along and found it on the trash heap of my life and picked it up and made it something worth loving. And he covers it completely with his righteousness. And so therefore, you know, it's not Jake only the saint getting better or Jake the sinner who's really messed up and is far from God. It's both and. I am both simultaneously a sinner and a saint. And so therefore I can <coughs> echo my voice with St. Paul when he says, I do not do the things that I want to do and I don't do the things that I should. O wretched man who will deliver me from this bondage of sin and death. And finally, the best part of Romans 7 is 8.1. But thanks be to God, in Christ Jesus, there is therefore now no more <clears throat> condemnation. And this is the idea, is that the saint and the sinner exist at the same time until we die, or we will be resurrected as saints. But in the meantime, whatever's going on in your life, there is therefore now no more condemnation for you who are in Christ Jesus. That's kind of the big story, and I'm so glad that you're here and that you're actually a part of this movement um, as we uh, proclaim this good news uh, to the entire world. Hey. Um, so I talked a little bit about my journey uh, to Mockingbird earlier, um, but it really started for me in seminary um, because I got pregnant in seminary, which is not something people do at Yale. and. Um, I found that I was in an environment that kept telling me that I needed to do more and be better 
that I could single-handedly save the world, um, that I needed to run a church that was going to push people harder um, to do more, and that if I wasn't doing that, I was going to fail. And then I had this baby, and uh, humility was like a daily lesson for me. And I remember being so frustrated and so tired, and I was in the library at Yale, and I thought, I can't, I can't even sleep through the night right now. I can't remember to buy diapers on time, right? I can't, I was failing at breastfeeding. How am I supposed to be in like a partnership with God? Like, how is that working out mm. for me? And it wasn't working out at all. And so I was saying this to one of my friends in the library and he goes, you should go to Mockingbird. And um, he, he only went once and he went years ago. And he's like, but they're saying stuff there you're never gonna hear any place else and you're never gonna hear it here. And so, um, so I signed up for the conference and I went on the website and around that time um, Whitney Houston had died, which was really hard for me. And um, so Tyler Perry spoke at her funeral and they put it up on the Mockingbird website. So some of you guys may remember this, it's amazing. So he stands up and he talks about how he went out to lunch with Whitney Houston and he didn't really know her that well and they sit down and she's like full disclosure like she's telling him everything you know she's telling me about the, her bad marriage and about her addiction issues and everything and he said and I kept wanting to jump in right and say like oh you know you're fine and everything will be okay and you're gonna power through this and before he could do that she would say but the Lord but my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and his amazing grace and I was like these fellas are putting this on their website like you know so then i show up for the conference and aaron zimmerman gets up and he says people are bad christians are people christians are bad but we're all saved by god's grace and i was like hook line and sinker that was it because for me it was the first time i really felt like i'd been in a church and it had, it had acknowledged life as it really is, right? That, like, I can't live up to the, the earthly standards. I mean, I recently heard David Zoll say at Mockingbird in Tyler, Texas, he said, we can never live up to our own self-barometers. And I felt like, particularly in seminary, I was in an environment of, like, the self-barometer as a theology. So... Um, I left Mockingbird and I read um, Paul Zoll's Grace and Practice, which if you haven't read, you gotta read, it's amazing. And then I started to read some Luther and then I started to read Robert Farrar Capon and um, then like the whole Bible looked different at that point, which was crazy. <laughs> um, and it began to look less like this disjointed thing where like there was this like angry God at the beginning that none of us could make sense of. And sometimes in some seminary circles, people are like, just ignore that part. And then, and then this like really great like social justice Jesus in the New Testament, right? And more like the, like the Bible was like this love letter from God. And you know, God, God came to us and God said, um, you know, I'm gonna give you the law on the, on the tablets and you're gonna nail it. And then we couldn't nail it, you know what I mean? Like we just couldn't do it. And so like then he comes to us in the prophets and he's like, I'm gonna write it on your hearts, right? And we're like, this is gonna work out. And then it's like, it still doesn't work out. And then the New Testament comes and God's like, I'm just gonna have to come down there because like you're not getting this yet, you know? And so like that, like that literally is what the Bible started to look like for me. And it was like earth shattering. Um, and the text that kept coming up for me over and over again, and actually the text comes from, I don't think she's sitting in here, but her husband is. Um, Holly Schneider said to me, 
we love because he first loved us, which is from 1 John. And it occurred to me in that moment that, that my ability to love is not up to me anymore. I don't have to be tired all the time trying to like originate that with myself because Jesus came and Jesus gave himself on the cross for me. And that is such an ocean of love that like I can just dwell in that and rest in that. And um, it just changed everything. It cha I mean, it really seriously has changed my whole life. Um, I started writing for Mockingbird because um, right, so the second year I came was right after the bombings in Boston at the Boston Marathon. And I was livid, um, which is usually how I write things, um, because uh, BuzzFeed is the website that does those like top 10 ways to restore your faith in humanity, right? And they do this every time after something like this happens. And it's awful because it like makes you feel better about things for like 32 seconds and then you either like remember that you're like not super pleasant generally or you encounter another human being and you're like, man, like it just like it's like this cycle. And um, and really what that's about is that somebody does something really terrible and we want to distance ourselves from them. Right. We want to be like, we would never do anything like that. That person's not human. What they do is like not even possible when we're not really accepting the reality of ourselves and that like for whatever reason mental illness the way they've been raised whatever mm. they've had a really dysfunctional life a really dysfunctional existence and like they have profoundly sinned you know and that we all profoundly sin um so i was complaining about this to simeon zoll and he was like you should write something for mockingbird so that's how that started um i just wanted to end today talking about why i keep coming back um, because it's weird, because Mockingbird just says the same thing over and over again. So, like, technically, you should just go to one conference and be good. But I keep coming back because every time something happens and, it, and I'm, like, seeing it, it's like, I mean, we have to be reminded of it, like, every day. It's like I see it afresh again. Like, I've still been given this clean slate. God's mercy rains down on me despite myself, you know? So, um... Mockingbird in Houston, uh, which was in the fall, um, I, I feel like I never say his name right, Tullian Chivijan, okay. So he was speaking and he said something amazing. Okay, so that's your setup. So uh, everybody grew up in like really rosy households, except me probably, no. <laughs> so I have great parents, but they grew up uh, and wrote a lot for the newspaper industry. So they, they had colorful language, I guess is the best way to put it. And um, there were sayings that they learned in the newsroom and they used the, these sayings sometimes to parent us. And so one of their favorite sayings was shit rolls downhill. So like you're 10 and like things aren't going the way you want it to go or like you're in trouble. And my mom's like, shit rolls downhill. And so I'm sitting there listening to Tolian speak and he's talking, he's talking, he's talking. And then he says, he says, grace rolls downhill. And I was like, I'm done. Like, I'm like, this, these are my people. This is my tribe. Whatever is happening here, like, God is obviously calling me towards. So, um, anyway, that's why I'm here. And I'm so glad you're here. Because, like, it's, it's just huge. I'm so glad you're here. Thanks. That was amazing. Um, does anybody have any questions or maybe, um, or yeah, questions?
or comments that are like questions? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Why is it called Mockingbird? I've thought about that so often and I can't get the answer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's <coughs> called Mockingbird because we say the same, what does a mockingbird do? Well, uh, it's taken the, the, word, the, the song of someone else and repeats it. And, uh, and so we have heard the song uh, from God himself through the apostles all the way now to today, and we're just repeating that same message that uh, grace rolls down the hill. <laughs> and so it, we just repeat it over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And so um, um, that's uh, where the name Mockingbird came from. Well, I, before I say my question, I want to say there's a Derek Webb song called Mockingbird. Yeah, there, yeah, is. there is. I was trying, I was trying I, to say, like, like we came up with it. No new thing to say or something like that. Yeah, that's right. But my question is, can you talk about why we use our, our culture, the media, pop <laughs> culture, and so much of what we do? Go ahead. Oh, um, so the question is, is why do we use art, media, and pop culture in so much of what we do? I think, I mean, I think you could probably speak this better, but um, it, it pulls people in, you know, and they see something that's relatable, and I think that they, um, you know, I'm from Mississippi, where, like, my joke about Mississippi is, like, you get your undergraduate and worrying about people, will, will, if people will go to hell or not, like, that's, you know, like, they teach you to, like, walk up to random strangers and be like, do you think you're saved? And so, um, so that's the version of Christianity that like a lot of the world has. And that's a lot of Christian websites and media is this, um, they look at culture and they say culture is bad, right? Culture is like evil. And it said Mockingbird looks at culture and says, oh my word, here is the gospel right here, like for people to see. And so, I mean, I don't know if that's the right answer, but that's definitely how I've seen it work in people's lives. I think uh, there's a truth, too, in the sense there's this great scene when uh, Jesus rolls into uh, Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and uh, all of these people are praising him and, um, and the Pharisees and the scribes say, stop that, stop that, you know, and, um, and Jesus says, you know, if uh, they don't do it, the very stones are going to cry out. And, um, you know, and I think uh, what we are seeing, especially as within the church on both the left and the right, we've just given people gospel. Mm-hmm. and terrible things, the very stones are crying out. And, uh, and, uh, and you can see that in the culture. You can, see, you can see the culture crying out with its fascination of death, crying out for a savior. You can see it in, 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 you know, in, uh, in the culture's commentaries on relationships and these ideas of law and gospel and the theology of the cross. So uh, I think one of the profound and, and really, if I might use the word prophetic things that Mockingbird does, is that it sees the culture as the stones crying out and, uh, and uses that as a way to articulate it. Second of all, I think there's an evangelistic aspect to Mockingbird. And, uh, um, and, uh, you know, and so uh, using the culture and pointing these things out is an evangelistic way uh, to, to share the gospel with people. And so, um, so you know, we're not saying, uh, are you saved? You know, asking it directly, but what we are saying is, uh, did you read that amazing article in the New York Times about how uh, psychology is saying you're really screwed up too? You know, or you know, and so this is uh, so we we can use that to uh, to share this message because indeed the stones are crying out. I hope that answered the question. So. Yeah. I have a question for Sarah. Um, 
the point that you made about the BuzzFeed response to the Boston Marathon bombing, this idea that, um, well, your idea, your self-identification of your sin as a mother or whatever with the bombers, um, mm -hmm. I feel like the idea that that is not us uh, as a culture, that, that somehow these people are inhuman or you know, other, other than us, is like a real crux, at least in mine, circles I run in, that this is a non-negotiable, this concept of people who do horrible things are somehow not human or different. Uh, even at the highest levels of culture that you're talking about, New York Times, New Yorker, um, I mean, one uh, unique example of that not being the case is like David Foster Wallace's sort of interviews with serial killers, and you know, there are people who sort of transcend that crux or that, that non-negotiable, but I find it everywhere and it's really not something that anybody will argue about it's just assumed so how do you get across that idea of you are you are just like this person um, inside of god um i mean i i used to um be a hospital chaplain and i had the real privilege of uh pastoring to a Lutheran uh, pastor, an elderly man, and I remember he said, we were talking about theology, and he said, you know, the, the ground is all level at the foot of the cross, and um, so I think that's kind of where I start, you know, um, but it's a struggle. I find in ministry so often people feel like there is a way to perfection, like that they can earn that, and I think that's that's this dangerous path that they go down that separates them even further, right, from people who've done, you know, what they see as, like, worse things, right, that they actually can, like, you know, do that. And so I don't know. I, I think I just start by saying, like, I'm a sinner. I mean, I think that's, like, my, like, that's the word that I use, and I say it that clearly when I'm in conversation with people who have a hard time identifying or relating to the fact that these people who do horrible things are human. Like, I'm a sinner just like they're a sinner, right? I've been saved by God's grace just like they've been saved by God's grace. And I hate that, right? Like, I wish that, like, I could totally delineate. I mean, I get that. I want to draw those lines, you know what I mean? But, like, that's the deal. Like, there aren't any lines to draw. It sucks, but you know what I mean? <laughs> like, and it's awesome, but, like, that's the deal, you know? So... I think you do an amazing job with that by bringing people into your own story and your own experience. And in that, you know, um, even I, as a, you know, I can relate to that. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I've been where you've been. And I think that's a very powerful thing in bringing people off their high horse is like how, you know, you articulate that in the articles that you write on Mockingbird is that you're able to kind of graciously through your own experience and, and even, you know, sometimes self-deprecation, but mostly your own powerful experience, you bring people into your story and that's kind of a free, you know, and because it's not, I'm here telling you how amazing people are, but it's like, actually I'm here and this has been my experience. That experience relates to me because the truth is, is that I know I'm not all right and that's an enabling word for me to get off my high horse. And I think that's one of the things that makes your articles really great on Mockingbird. Thanks, ma'am. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah, Bob. Um, so something that, you know, the church in general, as you guys talked about, is law, the gospel, law, gospel, law. You know, you're saved, now get your shit together. Mm -hmm. um, 
And we hear that everywhere. And at Mockingbird, I guess, we say something different, which is that you're saved, period. But it relies on the assumption that you need to be saved. Mm -hmm. And we use the word sin or sinner around here a lot. But that's a pretty loaded word in terms of connotation. Like sure. It, it's got a pretty... <laughs> By definition, it has a bad rap, <laughs> you know? But, but it's also just hard to swallow. Yeah. And, and that's why people go with the gospel. Mm -hmm. It's because you can skirt around the sinner thing. Like, you're a sinner, but you're getting better. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess for me, I run in largely secular circles in terms of my day-to-day -day life, work life, social life, and whatnot. And so it's kind of hard for me to even know where to begin presenting anything like the gospel or Mockingbird. Or like what I do in my free time, <laughs> like what I read about all this stuff. I don't even know where to begin to introduce that to most people I go into because I don't know how to approach this sinner word, this idea. Because it's not even about the word, it's really the word. We can, you know, but the concept that underlies it. And so as Mocking Bird's gotten more attention or just become higher profile or drawn a wider audience, what kind of reception have you guys gotten to this? assumption that we need to be saved and like a, a you know a pure assumption like you need to be saved period not you need to be saved and here's mm. what you can do to achieve it mm. and you know how would you maybe i don't know maybe it would even help to like define sin in a, in a way that can work, you know uh, make it relatable Wow, that's a good question. It's a huge question. You know, I think that Mockingbird is really, like, you know, we just don't drop the S-bomb everywhere we go, you know? I mean, we talk about it in the realities of, of life, you know? Uh, um, I mean, because the truth is, is that a simple definition of sin is just some, that which is not perfect. And, you know, and so uh, you talk about that in terms of, uh, you know, your own brokenness, the, the things that you struggle with, and... Uh, you know, um, just life in general, you know, a hurt that's been done to you, um, a feel, a hurt that you've done to others. I mean, those are, that, that's like the big concept. And I think one of the, so, you know, I don't think Mockingbird, one of the things that makes Mockingbird so clever is that it comes around through the back door, because it doesn't just drop the S-bomb everywhere, you know, it talks about brokenness and uh, insecurities, and in our other words, ab reactions, are other words that we've used. So, uh, you know, but it comes around the back door, and I think, you know, um, what makes it amazing is, is that each of us have different interests and we speak to those interests, you know, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of, um, of, uh, uh, of how, what's that movie called? Um, Wes Anderson, like I, I don't like Wes Anderson movies at all, <laughs> like I totally fall asleep, but Dave's into them and Dave, because it speaks to his heart, is able to connect his heart to other people with it. I mean, I love Wes Anderson through Dave Zoll's eyes because he loves it. You know what I mean? Uh, like, you know, I'm into into hip hop and, and rap, and uh, you know, and there were a number of hip hop references in my uh, sermon last night that a couple of people who are really into it totally picked up on. You know what I mean? And it connected with them, and uh, and uh, I think I think that's the way it is. But at the end of the day, and I'll wrap up with this. Unless you understand that you're broken in some ways, unless you understand that you've hurt someone else or that you yourself have been hurt, well, this ain't for you. You know what I mean? I mean, this is the truth. I mean, this isn't for Pharisees. This isn't for scribes. This isn't for people who've got it all together. But for those of us who've been Mary Magdalene, for those of us who've been Saul, for those of us who have been a denier like Peter, 
uh, this is the total words of life, and where else can we go? And that's uh, at the end of the day. I mean, that's just my thoughts. I mean, other than that, I'm just talking to a wall. Because you're right, everybody's like, oh, you're, you're depressing. And you know what I mean? Or that's like, <laughs> yeah. really? And uh, you know, we do have a low view of anthropology. That just comes with the territory. I mean, it is low, yeah. snake belly low. Yeah. And so but, uh, so, but if you still think things are awesome, like the Lego movie, uh, then, um, then this just isn't for you. And that's cool. That's totally cool. But when life does smack you in the mouth, like Mike Tyson said, uh, you, you'll hear us. Yeah. I, I guess all, all that occurs to me is when I was a hospital chaplain, I often encountered people. I mean, I'm in Texas, so I'd encounter a lot of people who didn't believe in God. Um, I think everybody secular. in the hospital believes in God. Well, like right there's that. some guys who are like in the bed by themselves, nobody's in the room, and there's a John Wayne movie on, and they yell <laughs> you out of the room. They don't believe in God. But, um, but I encountered a lot of people who had a really positivist view of like mm. things are you know they had terminal can cancer and it's like things are great and they quote like you know whatever Joel Olstein that kind of stuff to me and be like you know but I've I've got a handle on this and I'm gonna get it together and I believe and so this is gonna happen and that is gonna happen you know that was always a really good opportunity for me and I was so grateful in those moments mm. for Mockingbird to say you know you haven't done anything to deserve this right like our bodies are broken like that's part of being in this world like this world is broken right and but but we know that god loves you and whatever healing or heal happens and doesn't happen like that truth remains like that you are in his grace that you are beloved and that you will go home to him mm. so just from my personal experience that's kind of i know it's not secular but that's kind of where i've always come from with it so mm. yeah that's great I think we have time for uh, one more question. Right there. So, um, in, in, in my own professional Lutheran system, sacraments go right, would you, would you uh, speak, speak up? up? Uh, sacraments, uh, in my own system, go hand in hand with uh, soteriology. How do the sacraments influence what Lockenberg does, specifically baptism and the Lord's Supper? Do they play a role at all in, in your theology here? I think that's a very good question, and uh, one of the things that I uh, always like to make perfectly clear, uh, because there have been a number of uh, church bodies who have tried to kind of latch on and claim us, is that Mockingbird is not a church. And uh, we are not a church. We are, uh, if you will, a parachurch organization made up of people from different uh, reformational traditions and people from just regular Christian traditions that have heard this message and have come on board. And so, um, you know, and recognizing that uh, we are a diverse body, there are different views of, of the sacraments, and, uh, and so, um, and we prefer to, to keep it that. We're just, we're focused on these main things, you know, the distinction between the law and the gospel, the theology of the cross, imputation, um, justification, um, and so those, those are the ideas that we all as Christians can, like, you know, in this, in this body can land the plane on. For me personally, the sacraments are supremely important, but I'm a minister in a church, and so, you know, and uh, we have, a, and, uh, we have his, a historic view of the sacraments in our church, and so that's, uh, so that's kind of, uh, so that's how it goes. So, but Mockingbird, I, I don't believe we um, emphasize like those, that particular, particular stuff. Yeah, no, I think that, yeah, totally what he said. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Sure. sure. 
how um, sort of seeing scripture, seeing gospel, gospel through this the mockingbird lens has affected the way you see and practice sacraments within your tradition. Mm. Goodness. Um, well, uh, for me, so. Um, it's actually uh, kind of, as we would say, helped me climb the candlestick a little bit. And so um, um, <laughs> I, uh, it's interesting, you know, because um, I came out of seminary super snake belly low. And, uh, um, um, but I've actually come to kind of see the sacraments specifically to baptism and the Lord's Supper. Um, I've seen them as important touches. Um, so it's one thing if my wife constantly says, I love you, 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 but I never got a touch. Um, you know, I mean, I would be grateful, but uh, I would begin to kind of, you know, and I need something, I need a touch that's definitely outside of myself uh, to uh, assure me that God, is, that God really does love me because the truth is, is on my own, my own craziness in my head can cause me to doubt. And I can't, I, I, you know, I came back to faith. I have a little bit of my story. I was raised in the Episcopal Church. And I came back to faith in college at, in a Pentecostal kind of revival. And uh, basically one step above snake handling. And uh, like there I was for a year. Yeah, yeah. But then all of a sudden, kind of the crazy, my crazy self started to come. And I began to question, was I really saved? Mm -hmm. And so I went up for another altar call. And I went up for another altar call the next week and another altar call the next because, I mean, I was like really having a hard time in some things. So much so that these people tried to exercise me of the demon of smoking. This is a hilarious story. So they like exercised me of the demon of smoking and then they dropped me off and I immediately went to my apartment and smoked like a whole pack of cigarettes. And, um, but talk about the law at work. Every time I saw them, I made sure I was doused in cologne and chewing tons of gum because I had been exercised of the demon of smoking. But this really caused me to question my faith. Like how, like, this has got to be more than a feeling. And, you know, and what, you know, and until basically Charles Finney came around and really ruined Christianity in America, um, nobody would have ever said they were a Christian because they made a personal decision for Jesus. Um, now, this isn't Mockingbird. This is Jake. Um, but they would say, I am a Christian because I was baptized. And see, I can look back at that moment when I was baptized in Our Lady of Guadalupe Roman Catholic Church on the Navajo Reservation and know there that God made a... Pro I've made tons of promises, but they're always totally failing. Just ask my wife. But God made a promise to me and that has never fallen short, you know, uh, because He rose. And all of the promises of God are fulfilled there. So I can look back to that moment and know that the same God who brought Jesus Christ from the dead is faithful to me. And I'm assured of that every Sunday with a little bread and a little wine where Jesus put his name and said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood that is shed for you. And I can pulls me outside of myself. It's a visible sermon to me. As Luther says, it's a visible sermon that indeed I have been saved and justified, not by my own works, but by, faith, but by grace through faith in Christ alone. So that's what's happened to me.
And so, yeah, there it is. But Mockingbird takes no official position on the sacraments. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to say anything about it, Sarah? Uh, I read a book in college called Girl Meets God, something you may be familiar with. Lauren Winter wrote it. She uh, grew up reformed Jew, became an Orthodox, and then became, she's now an Episcopal priest. In the book, she wrote about the first time she had a community of friends who had left Judaism to become Christians. And she, the first time that they did uh, Passover as Christians, and that they, um, it was something to do with tearing the bread apart, and she saw the body of Christ being broken. Mm. And that image was, it was, has just always stayed with me. So when I celebrate the Eucharist, that is often what I think of. And while it is not Mockingbird's official stance at all, it, for me, I mean, it's so intrinsically connected to the theology. So. Mm. That's, that reminds me of the story that's going to be in our gospel reading this Sunday, and the road to Emmaus. And you, know, you talk about how to read the Bible and how to understand the Bible. You know, these guys are walking along and they're really depressed, and all of a sudden they don't know who he is, but this guy comes along with them and he's like, What's the matter? And they're like, Where have you been? You know, this guy Jesus, who was mighty in power indeed, we just, he died, and we thought he was the Messiah. And he says, you know, oh, foolish to believe and slow of heart. And he began to point to them, beginning with Moses, which is Genesis. And all the prophets, going all the way through the prophets, he began to show how they pointed that the Messiah must suffer and die and on the third day be raised again. And it's still kind of their hearts are strangely warmed, they say. Because the gospel does that. And it says, then they invited him to dinner and he broke the bread. And they're like, oh, my God, there he is. Like, that's him, and he vanishes. Um, but that powerful thing, I mean, the breaking of the bread, there he is. Oh, my gosh. Um, one last question right over there. I saw your hand up. Um, I understood what you were saying about the, sort of the conversations about social justice at Yale, but I wonder if, through a mockingbird lens, how you engage that whole dialogue Yeah, this is like my favorite question that's been asked. Um, I'm not tired anymore when I think about, when I think about working for people Mm. who are poor and who are alone or Mm. who are on the fringes of culture, right? Because I have been loved all the way to the cross and that love I mean, that's always the thing with Mockingbird is people say, and I would hear them like, oh, you don't want to, those Mockingbird guys like Grace, they just like give it away and like then you can just sit around and like eat chips all day or whatever, you know? <laughs> and the thing is, that's not what happens. There's this rest that comes over me and then when I encounter people who need me, I have this reserve of love because I've been loved, because I've been loved to the cross. So that, that is, so it's not like don't do social justice. It's just entirely reframed. So my access point is no longer me. My access point is Jesus. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I think um, uh, the, that it, it does. It completely reframes the entire conversation. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I hear a number of my colleagues whom I love and I'm deeply uh, deep friendships with talk about uh, you know they're doing this for God and they're on the side of God I love how Nadia Boltz Weber puts in her uh, book Pastrix 
will be speaking tonight. She says, you know, whenever you think you're on the side of God, I guarantee you Jesus is on the other side. <laughs> and, um, uh, that, and that is a profound insight. Yeah. And so, like, but as Sarah so beautifully put, it reframes the entire conversation. We're no longer doing things for God because God has done everything for us. Now we're free to do things for the sake of our neighbor. And uh, this becomes then a conversation of vocation and calling and who is my neighbor and who, because of the great love of God for me, can I serve for the sake of my neighbor. And this begins the conversation of the distinction between uh, um, kind of uh, works versus fruit. And uh, that's for a whole nother, that's a mockingbird topic next year. But uh, the idea of fruit versus works. And, uh, you know, really, when God has given you all of his grace and mercy, uh, fruit is inevitable for the sake of your neighbor. And even the poorest amongst us. Great. Thank you very much. Uh, Sarah, would you close us in prayer? Sure. uh... Gracious and loving God, thank you for this time that we've been given together. Thank you that you give us a well that quenches our thirst, that is always present for us to come back to. Thank you for your grace that has saved us. Thank you for your cross that has redeemed us. And thank you for the clean slate that is our freedom papers. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.